to my little friend. Greetings one and all. It's been a long time, I know. I hope you've missed me. A whole lot of things have been happening here. I've started a new job. We've just moved house. Plus, for a while there, I was running a little low on ideas, but I am back. And so welcome to the 15th episode of Say Hello to My Little Friend, a.k.a. The Beretta Cast. I am Glenn Peoples, and I now ask that you join me in ushering in a new era of this podcast. I'm going to start doing things a little differently around here. But not all that differently. Some of my previous episodes, if you've been listening, have been pretty long, some of them longer than 45 minutes. Well, the format is changing now, and the episodes are going to be shorter. 40 minutes tops, I promise. I know, it's not much of a change. So let's get started with episode number 15. This episode asks a simple question. Why should anyone become an atheist? That's the question. Now, in the preface to his unintentionally hilarious book, The God Delusion, Richard Dawkins announced that, quote, If this book works as I intend, religious readers who open it will be atheists when they put it down. End quote. So what he wanted then, and wants, is for people to give up belief in God and to embrace atheism. Now, I don't want to assume that Dawkins is representative of atheists in general. Um, I wouldn't be so offensive to atheists in general. I know that that's not the case. So I won't pretend that what I'm talking about uh, relates to all atheists. But for now, I'm talking about atheists who think that people with religious beliefs should give them up and adopt atheism. They should stop affirming that there's a God and start affirming that there isn't a God. Now, no apologies to all you atheist wannabes, you agnostics who won't commit one way or the other, but who want to wear the atheist label anyway, but this is what atheism really is, the denial that there is a God. And so this episode is about one question. Why should an atheist think that people who believe in God should give up religion and become atheists? I'm going to suggest that if atheism were true, there might still be no good reason why we should believe it. Anyone who has listened to previous episodes of this podcast will have figured out I'm not an atheist. And I think people shouldn't adopt atheism because atheism is simply mistaken about whether or not there's a God, plus other reasons that aren't important for now. Just for this episode, I'm setting all that aside. Let's assume for this episode that atheism is true. It's not. But let's pretend. So for this episode at least, you're an atheist. And I'm an atheist. 
Why do we want other people who are theists to become atheists? Well, let's consider some reasons that we might have. Number one, because atheism is true. One answer that might immediately suggest itself is that since atheism is true, people ought to believe it. Now, if you're an atheist, of course you think atheism is true. That's just what it is to be an atheist. And it's possible that you believe that people ought to believe true claims and deny false claims. But ask yourself why you think that and what you actually mean when you say that people ought to do this. A lot of atheists have simply assumed that since, as far as they're concerned, atheism is true, that is the only reason they need to urge other people to believe it. Serious philosophical works in defense of atheism, and by serious I mean books like J.L. Mackey, The Miracle of Theism, and not the likes of Christopher Hitchens' angry tirade, God is not great. Books like this devote themselves to giving reasons for thinking that theism is not true, and atheism is true, and they go no further. They do not present additional reasons for adopting atheism or encouraging theists to do so. That's because of the assumption that, if it's true, that's reason enough. But why is this assumption taken for granted? Christopher Hitchens, when debating Alistair McGrath, claims that a religious outlook, quote, dissolves our obligation to live and witness in truth, end quote. After all, Hitchens asks, have we not all heard religious people say that their beliefs may indeed be a pile of fairy tales, but it provides consolation, so it's worth believing? Surely to a sensible person this would be embarrassing, muses Hitchens. Well, firstly, I've never heard a religious person say that, but we'll ignore this straw man for now. Hitchens makes it clear that he thinks that we have some sort of obligation to live and witness in truth, by which he seems to mean an obligation to believe true things and deny false things. So I want to put the question out there. If there really is such an obligation, what generates it? If you're a religious believer, then certain types of answers naturally present themselves. We were made by an intelligent being, God, who had certain intentions in making us, and one of those intentions is that our belief-forming faculties should generate true beliefs. In other words, God wants us to believe truth, and when our belief-forming faculties function correctly, that is, as they were intended to, they will tend to produce true beliefs, because functioning correctly has to do with what those faculties were meant by their maker to do. Now, those faculties could produce true beliefs in some circumstances when they don't function correctly too, but that's beside the point. So there's a reason grounded in proper function. Along a similar vein as God's creatures, it might be said, it is fitting for us to think God's thoughts after him. That's a slogan that sometimes gets used. And God loves the truth. So God affirms all things that are true. And as we emulate God, we too will affirm the truth. There might also be a, a reason grounded in divine law. You might think, as many religious believers do, that morality is grounded in the will or commands of God. And so you might observe biblical admonitions like, Let each person speak the truth to his neighbor. That's in Ephesians 4.25. 
and you might see that you have a duty to be a truth-teller based on God's commands. But for the purpose of this episode, you're not a religious believer. You're an atheist. Now, for the atheist, what available means are there whereby speaking the truth can become an objective duty? He cannot say that the only way for our belief-forming faculties to be functioning properly is for them to be producing true beliefs, just because the idea of a proper function is such a troublesome one if there are no intentions behind us being what we are. There isn't any way that, that we or our belief-forming faculties were intended to function because nobody intended that we exist or that we have such faculties. To say otherwise is simply to give up atheism. So there's no reason at all, as far as I can tell, that you should feel compelled to get people to give up theism just because you believe atheism is true. Well, maybe there's a second reason here. Because theism is a threat to you and to others. For a new generation of atheists, even some of those who are themselves no spring chickens, serious philosophical argument against the existence of God is more and more being replaced by what might be termed arguments from outrage, giving rise to the title, The Angry Atheists. It's kind of an anti-realist argument for atheism. In other words, it's a reason for adopting unbelief, where that reason has nothing to do with whether or not it is factual to deny the existence of God. It goes like this. Religion is dangerous, a fact that is shown by the acts of violence that have been carried out by religious people and groups. And therefore, religious belief threatens our well-being and we would be better off without it. Therefore, we should advocate atheism in the hope that people will give up their religious beliefs. Now, if there is an argument here, what does it look like? Uh, I'm not saying that people who reason in this way put forward the following argument in this form, but that's just because some of them don't think very carefully about what they're saying. But if they were thinking carefully, this is roughly what the argument would look like. 1. For any belief B... If a person or group holds belief B and carries out act A, then B causes A. 2. People and groups that hold religious beliefs have carried out acts of violence. 3. Therefore, religious beliefs cause acts of violence. 4. Beliefs that cause violence are a threat to us, and so we should urge people to give them up. 5. Therefore, we should urge people to give up religious beliefs. Now, it's a valid argument. All the premises lead to that conclusion. But there are a few things that are wrong with this line of reasoning. I'm not going to mention all of them. The first thing I'm going to mention is that by reasoning this way, we would have to give up not only religious beliefs, but most beliefs. Maybe all beliefs. Um... Let me give you an example that might show you that this is the case. Take a, really, take a guy that we all think rather poorly of, Mussolini. Mussolini probably held the belief that the earth goes around the sun. He orchestrated acts of violence. Does that mean that this belief about the earth and the sun causes violence? Or that we should urge people to give it up? I mean, he probably believed that water is wet, 
Does that mean we should give up that belief too? Clearly not. I mean, that that's just kind of dumb. Not only that, but for an atheist to reason this way is quite self-defeating. Um, there's no denying that many acts of violence have been carried out by religious people and groups, but it's also true that many acts of violence have been carried out by atheists, both individuals and groups. I'm not saying that we should urge people to give up atheism because atheists have done terrible things. That's an ad hominem fallacy. All I'm saying is that if the atheist wants to use this reason for urging people to give up religious beliefs, then it's going to come back to bite him. Because the same line of reasoning leads to the conclusion that we should urge people to give up atheism. So at this point, I think the atheist might want to wisely reconsider the argument. Let's put a, a slightly stronger version forward. 1. For any belief B, if a person or group holds belief B and carries out Act A because of, or partly because of, belief B, then B causes A. 2. People and groups that hold religious beliefs have carried out acts of violence because of, or at least partly because of, their religious beliefs. 3. Therefore, religious beliefs cause acts of violence. 4. Beliefs that cause violence are a threat to us, and so we should urge people to give them up. 5. Therefore, we should urge people to give up religious beliefs. Maybe that's a little bit more promising. After all, religious people have done terrible things in the name of their religion. But, by contrast, surely, atheists who have done terrible things have never done so in the name of their opposition to religious beliefs, right? So, atheism is not a threat to us, but religious beliefs are. However, even this revised version of the argument still falls prey to the same two criticisms that its predecessor fell prey to. Firstly, it still demands too much, requiring that we not only give up religious beliefs, but many other beliefs that an atheist would not want to give up. Consider, for example, the horrors of the French Revolution, all conducted supposedly in the name of liberty, equality and fraternity. It goes without saying that the French Revolution did an incredible amount of harm to people. Should we then give up on liberty, equality and fraternity? Alistair McGrath points to the sad case of Madame Roland, who famously said to the Statue of Lady Liberty as she was being led away to the guillotine, Liberty, what crimes are committed in your name? Is liberty then a threat that we should get people to stop advocating just because some people did terrible things in the name of liberty? Surely not. Secondly, in spite of what the atheist might like to think about history, in fact, terrible violence has been carried out in the name of opposition to religious beliefs. Take Lenin's Soviet Union, or Stalin's for that matter, if you want a worse example. Um, very obvious cases to point to. Uh, Mao Zedong's persecution of, of the religious in China is another obvious case. These acts of widespread, severe violence were not merely carried out by people who happened to be atheists. 
they were carried out because of their atheism. Now some might want to butt in at this point and say that really these acts were political in nature rather than atheistic. They were done for political reasons, so atheism is not to be blamed. Now firstly, I am not saying that atheism is to be blamed as a belief system just because these things happened. But secondly, if atheism can get off the hook because there were political motivations, then why can't religion get off the hook in exactly the same way? After all, the most widespread religious violence, particularly in Christian history, was just as entangled with political concerns as religious concerns. I mean, look at the Crusades, an obvious example. But secondly, or is it thirdly now, why does it matter that the actions were political? Yes, what Stalin, Lenin and Mao did was political in nature because it was an act of the state designed to achieve a certain social outcome. But the political path was chosen because of the atheistic beliefs that these leaders held. They used political means to repress religion because they believed that religious beliefs were false and, ironically, that they were dangerous. Pot kettle comes to mind. Again, I'm not saying that this proves that atheism necessarily causes this kind of horrific violence, like, you know, you know the violence carried out by Lenin, Stalin, and Mao Zedong. But the only way to get atheism off the hook is to give up the argument that is being used here to get people to give up religious beliefs. If the acts of these atheist dictators in the name of atheism does not show that atheism is inherently dangerous, then likewise the harmful acts of religious people in the name of religious beliefs does not show that religious beliefs are dangerous. Let's just say that violence and persecution are the things that pose the threat, shall we? Regardless of the beliefs of the people who carry those acts out. So let's go to a third reason. Because atheism does people good, and you care about people. So once you accept that there's no rule about only believing truth and denying falsehood, and when you've brought yourself to admit that theism is really no more inherently a threat than atheism, what's left? Well, maybe in spite of this, you still want to say that atheism does something good for people, and because you're such a benevolent person, you want people to jump on the good ship atheism because it's good for them. Okay, in what ways is atheism good for people? Maybe you think atheism just makes people happy, and you want people to be happy because you like the thought of people being happy. It makes you happy, maybe. But if the studies I've looked at are anything to go by, you'd just be wrong. Religious conservatives actually have a tendency to be happier than other people. And in case you think that uh, if people became atheists, then they would care more about other people, and that would make you happy, then think again there, too. Religious conservatives are, in fact, more philanthropic on average than others, giving more to charity and contributing more time and resources to those in need, on average. Now, I know this says nothing about whether any religious belief is true, but it does mean that you can't use these lines of reasoning as a basis for your efforts in trying to get people to give up religious beliefs and embrace atheism. 
Maybe at the end of it all, you just like making people unhappy. And you really like attacking people's beliefs and telling them that they have, sorry, that they believe a lot of nonsense. Who knows, maybe you'll even succeed in taking away the hope and happiness that they have had because of their religious beliefs. I guess in an atheistic world, it's up to you whether or not you act on these preferences. But are you actually aware that this is your only reason? Or perhaps you think you have another reason that you'd really like to share with me and put me straight on this. If so, you go right ahead and drop me a line. Let me know what that reason is. I'll, I'll be happy to look at it. But it looks pretty clear to me that if atheism were true, there wouldn't be any particularly compelling reason to adopt it. That's kind of weird, isn't it? Its truth alone would not generate any duty to believe it. And the anti-realist reasons that I'm aware of, usually uh, to do with the alleged dangers of religion, are not compelling, because they rule out way too many beliefs, including atheism. So I put it to you that even if atheism were true, now, again, I don't think it is true, even if it's true, there's no reason to believe it much less reason to try to get people to give up their religious beliefs and embrace atheism. So if you're not already an atheist, don't waste your time considering it. You know what? It's been a while since we've had one of these. That's right, it's time again to have another look at This Week in History. And this week is August 24th to 30th, beginning August 24th, 410. Alaric and the Goths sack Rome. The pagans blamed pacifist Christians and their god for the defeat. Augustine, on the other hand, a Christian and most certainly not a pacifist, in his massive city of God, repudiated this claim and blamed Rome's corruption instead. 1215, Pope Innocent III declared the Magna Carta invalid. Innocent declared the Catholic Church to be a genuine state, and hence heresy became a crime against the state, which could be punished accordingly. Still August 24th, 1572. The St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre occurred on August 24th, 1572, St. Bartholomew's Day, when Catholics in France slaughtered large numbers of French Protestants, Huguenots. Thousands of men, women and children died in Paris on the orders of Charles IX, who was urged on by his mother, Catherine de' Medici. 1662, the Act of Uniformity came into operation in Britain. This act furthers the, quote, uniformity of public prayers and administration of the sacraments, end quote. Around 2,000 Anglican ministers resigned rather than conform to the statute, and around this time, Puritans adopted the name nonconformists for their position. The day of their last sermon preached in the Church of England is known as Farewell Sunday. Still August 24th, a lot happened on August 24th, 1759. William Wilberforce, philanthropist and vocal abolitionist, is born in Yorkshire, England. If you haven't seen the movie, by the way, Amazing Grace, detailing some of Wilberforce's efforts to end slavery in the British Empire, see it very soon. It is very good. August 25th, in the year 325, the first Council of Nicaea ended, having rejected Arianism and formulated the Nicene Creed. August 25th, 1560, led by John Knox, the Reformed Church of Scotland is established on Protestant lines. 
The, Scot the Scottish Parliament accepts the Calvinist Scots Confession, forbids the Mass, and most importantly of all, declares that the Pope has no jurisdiction in Scotland. August 25th. 1776, David Hume died, and August 25th, 1900, Friedrich Nietzsche died. So these two men have something in common, apart from the fact that they were both philosophers who were very, very wrong. August 26th, 1191, Richard the Lionheart, Richard I the Lionheart, marches 2,700 Muslim soldiers out of Acre into the road of Nazareth in front of the forward positions of the Muslim army and then has them executed by one, one by one. Saladin, Saladin had for more than a month delayed on fulfilling his side of the agreement that had led to the surrender of Acre, and Richard meant this as a warning of what would happen if the delays continue. August 27th, 1910. I'm not even sure that I can pronounce her name. Agnes Gonja Bojazu. I'm not sure if that's correct. Also known to the world in much simpler terms, Mother Teresa is born. August 27, 1987, Jamie Dodge of Mississippi was fired from her job at the Salvation Army, that is the church, because she was a pagan. She later filed suit against the Salvation Army for religious discrimination and won. So much for separation of church and state. August 28th, in the year 430, Augustine of Hippo died. August 29th, in the year 70, the Romans burn the gates, enter the temple courtyards of Jerusalem, and destroy the temple by fire. Within a month, Jewish resistance ends. Ends. That's a rather gentle way of saying is destroyed. Also, August 29th, 1632, one of my favorite philosophers in history, John Locke, was born. August 30th, 1831, Charles Darwin was fatefully asked to travel on the HMS Beagle, and that is this week in history, and that is the end of this new look, shortened episode of Say Hello to My Little Friend. We will be back, uh, not in a week's time, that's another change I forgot to mention earlier. Weekly is just a little bit more than I can handle currently, so... In two weeks' time, in a fortnight's time, we'll be back for another riveting episode of Say Hello to My Little Friend.